You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy birthday, Joe. Yeah. Well, the show's finally gone viral. Oh, God. Really? We're doing those kind of jokes this week? I can't say that it'll be the last of those jokes, but James, humor is all that we have. I'm so sorry that we're a husband and wife quarantined from each other. Separated by oceans. (laughs) Uh, Coming up on today's show, uh, James, you remember how I caused Black Friday? You believe that you caused Black Friday. Well, I was having a pretty good year until this week, and my cockiness has once again ruined things, this time on a global scale. Uh, I was in a movie a couple of weeks ago. You, you guys heard about that. I got stories about that. I was in a Pepsi commercial that just came out. That's kind of cool, but it all feels kind of stupid now. I'm not going to lie. You say that, and obviously we can't ignore reality. We can't not talk about the impact of real-world events on the poker industry, on our everyday lives, but that can't be the focus of what we do. We're here to distract, we're here to entertain, and we should definitely do that with this podcast. All right, fine. I can't can't promise it won't come up at all since it is fucking prevalent, but here's some silver linings. Uh, I did have plenty of time to rewatch the 40-year-old virgin, Ryan Abbott. He's a super fan. He'll be on to talk about that. And uh, since we need laughter more than ever, we're having one of the funniest people on the planet on today's show. His name is Danny Zucker. He's a poker player. He's a poker fan. He's a comedy writer. One of the main creative driving forces of the hit TV series Modern Family, which is ending this year. He's going to be on the show today. He's also one of my favorite Twitter followers uh, for reasons we don't usually get into on the show. Uh, yeah, so I feel like we've covered the the main thing that's yeah. on our mind uh, and that we're going to move on from. But but there's got to be more. Yeah, there is more. So we talked about coronavirus. We talked about COVID-19 last week. And we knew last week there were likely to be further cancellations to events. We knew that yeah. poker tournaments around the world would be affected. And now we're seeing card rooms and casinos closing around the world, including resorts in Las Vegas. And in our part of the world, it's been confirmed now that EPT Monte Carlo is not going to go ahead. EPT Sochi has been postponed until October. Um I'm currently working from home. I'm working remote and will be for the foreseeable future. And I guess that begs the question, Joe, what does this mean for us and for our live streaming plans? That's probably the the most important question in all of this. Yes. What is happening to the EPT live streams? So we wanted to fill the void. We didn't want to just leave gaps where there would have been live streams. And interestingly, an idea was floated a while back that we go back and look at the early seasons and and exploit, for want of a better word, the archive of material we have. The EPT started back in 2004, and we have TV shows going back to the very beginning. And the idea was, what about if we bring you those shows, but don't bring you the pre-existing old commentary, but instead look at this 2004-2005 era poker through a (laughs) modern-day poker lens. In short, we have given birth to EPT Retro, which is going to be a series that might be running for more than just the two weeks when we were meant to be streaming Sochi and Monte Carlo, where you and I, Joe, joined by various PokerStars pros and Twitch streamers, will be 
providing modern analysis, contemporary analysis of old poker and revisiting shows where you didn't get big blinds, you sometimes didn't even get stack sizes, and you certainly had stuff which no one would ever accuse of being GTO. James, some of the shows I do now are like that. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> rewind 15 or 16 years and it so, was all over the shop. Will be the will this be the first time like let's say we get Spraggy on as a guest commentator. Will be the will this be the first time that we'll have a commentator on who wasn't alive when the original stuff was shot? <laughs> I said it's 16 years ago, not 26 years ago. (laughs) Um, It could well be that he and in your and also in your case, I imagine you won't have seen a lot of this before. So there'll very much be fresh eyes on this material. So the plan at the moment is that we're going to do this next week, Tuesday through Friday, replacing four days when we would have been streaming EPT Sochi. Um, And... Then the plan is we're going to be doing it probably two days a week going forward for possibly the next three months. We're going to try and do a a, a 12-week run out of this using these old shows, providing these, these live streams. Stay tuned for start times, but I'm pretty certain that, as I said, next week, so that's Tuesday the 24th through to Friday the 27th, probably starting around noon or 1pm, the time a live stream would normally start, we'll be providing our EPT retro look at seasons one and two of the European Poker Tour. Season one, they pretty much only covered final tables. We start making more shows in the later seasons, so that'll take more time to get through. But yeah, I think, Joe, that it looks like we're going to be streaming every week for the next 12 weeks with extended weeks where there would have been Sochi Monte Carlo. Now, that does mean, one of the things I should point out, that probably will affect the podcast schedule, and it could mean that the podcast comes out later in the week. At the moment, we normally drop on a Thursday morning. Maybe it won't be till a Friday afternoon, Friday evening, because we're going to have more stuff to pack in. And maybe, because we're not traveling, we might squeeze out a couple of extra episodes of the podcast as well. So we might not take as many breaks as we originally envisaged. In the words of myself, I'll allow it. I'm glad that we're actually doing this retro thing because uh, I was thinking of doing it myself and this will be better and also I won't get sued. Um, so it's perfect. I think it's. It, I think your immediate reaction to it spoke volumes when I first pitched it and you said, you know what, I think it's a good idea in principle, but even more of a good idea in the absence of anything new going on. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that I think has kind of always been in the back of my mind, obviously, like I'm sure a lot of people have thought of this, like, hey, we could probably go back and put some modern day commentary on some old footage. And this is the perfect opportunity to do it. Uh, It is needed. And also we have the time. So really, it's it's the perfect storm of of a of a reboot rehash. Yes. So you Spraggy and I were all meant to be going to Sochi next week. So we are all available to do these streams. So we'll have Spraggy on the Central Pokestars Twitch channel with us. I did notice that on one of his streams the other day, Spraggy streamed your Pepsi commercial. (laughs) And I saw that he tweeted the real-time reviews. I was thrilled because when we discussed this a few months ago when you first shot it, you were slightly concerned that your performance might be a bit hammy. I actually thought you did a decent job of not mugging at the camera. And actually, you played the role of bored guy stacking boxes, perplexed by his workmate, to perfection. Oh, that's very kind, James. Thank you. You know, 
I obviously got the part, and then once I got it, I was like, oh my god, can I act? Can I even act? I don't really know. And I will say the face that I end up getting shown making this sort of like uh, confused, puzzled eyebrow raise was not the face I was making most of the time. I was mostly – remember that Obama not bad face? It was kind of like – okay, I know no yeah, one else yeah. can see me, but James can. That's what I was doing most of the time. Um, so to the, the, the puzzled ra- raised eyebrow look was one I didn't do very often. So I don't know – what the choice was for that. Joseph Kahn said he's about to release the, uh, the director's cut <laughs> of that commercial. I don't think he's joking either. I think, um, that's one thing he does a lot of the time, like whether it's his commercials or his music videos, he'll just go, this is the version I wanted to make and puts it out on his own. So, well, the one thing I did observe is the very last shot where the dancing becomes infectious and everyone is joining in, including guy at the back stacking boxes. Your dance did give me flashbacks to standing outside the loading dock at Atlantis when we got thrown out of the nightclub. So when you're on a set like that, the last thing like you want to do is have the director say your name, right? You just want to be like not spoken to at all. And so at one point he was like, Stapes, I'm like, yeah, he's like, Stapes, you got to dance more. You're not dancing enough. I need more dancing out of you. So uh, apparently at what I thought I was, dancing plenty but uh yeah so uh very very fun to have that come out it was a nice little treat yesterday and thanks to john delano who is an awesome fantastic super fan always very supportive first guy to catch it well done buddy thank you i guess we should probably uh pivot now by the way i wasn't stacking boxes i came up with a whole backstory i had just been fired I was I was collecting my belongings. I was heading over to Kathy's desk. Kathy with a C, not with a K. I thought it should be with a C. Joseph Joseph Khan said it should be a K. Uh, to see if she uh, had my multicolored pen that I let her borrow uh, before I left the building. So that's all. Just a little backstory on my character. Awesome stuff. I look forward to him appearing in numerous spinoffs and sequels. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like yeah, the well, MCU, that, only really shit. That same character, uh, yes, well, left his job at the office there at the travel agency and then went and played um, small poker tournaments in the heartland of America. Uh, recur- the character then pops up in the card counter, uh, which I was really looking forward to talking about this week. It-, it is a little sad now or maybe even really sad. The movie is in serious danger of not getting finished this as is a result of coronavirus. So you sent uh, a link to a deadline article to me, Joe. and. Yeah. My understanding is so someone on the crew, uh, an actor who arrived on set, tested positive for COVID-19, and that yes. has shut down the production, and they're, what, like a week out from finishing filming? Well, I think that production was going to get shut down regardless, right? I think that there would have been an argument to finish. The, there was five days to go on this shoot. Um, and look, this is not a big Hollywood movie. This is not a studio picture. This is an independent film, right? This is like individual investors have invested in this movie. So um, five days left to go. Yes, there was an actor who tested positive once he got home to Los Angeles. Um, you know, and I think that they were maybe going to try to risk it and get get the thing done. You know, they're in Mississippi, not exactly a hot spot. Um, and so, yes, they did eventually shut it down. I don't know how much of the articles there's been all kinds of articles read because Paul Schrader, uh, has really been outspoken about how he feels about this. He's not happy. Uh, he called his producers pussies for shutting the production down. Um, 
And although I don't agree with him, I understand him. I completely understand him. And I think the important thing to highlight here is when you say this is an independent production, Joe, people may think that a, a, a big Hollywood movie, you're maybe only getting like three seconds of actual screen footage per day. I can imagine that these five days were a decent percentage of the movie. And if they're not able to restart, can the film be finished? Can the film even be released? Well, yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're all talking about things as if what's going on right now is, is temporary or, or semi-temporary. We don't know, right, when it's going to be business as usual again. And just, look, I'm not a film producer, but I would say every week that goes by makes whatever it is we were working on, any of us, yeah. before this happened, unlikely to get picked back up in the same way it was beforehand, right? You know, when you're making a movie like this, you know, to get everyone back to Mississippi, to get that money again, to, you know, that stuff is all um, a big hurdle to overcome. And that's if our very way of life isn't changed forever as a result of this. So um, regarding the actor, unfortunately, and I guess the guy who tested positive, I shared a meal with him. Like I literally dipped chips into the same nacho cheese sauce as this guy um, on my first day, my first night uh, we all went out to dinner and I did hang with this dude and we did, we were in close proximity. Um, I don't know if we shared a drink or anything like that, but we definitely like all stuck our mozzarella sticks into the same marinara sauce. So I'm kind of, on watch right now myself, uh, that particular meal was two weeks ago yesterday. And this person was also in the poker scene, um, which there were a lot of people in it and chips were handled. And I handled a lot of aspects of that scene. Um, chips being touched and, uh, you know, being passed around, obviously granted we were shooting a movie, so it wasn't the same, uh, chips being passed around had it been a real tournament most people were like taking the chips back right we would shoot a take yeah. and I'd be like guys I need you to keep track of how many chips you have in front of you so that you can pull them back when the when the take is over so but he was there for that and that was that was a week ago today so myself and everyone else who worked in this production we're kind of like watching the clock a little bit to be like am I developing symptoms am I feeling uh, sick from this I have not felt anything yet I have a feeling that if I did contract it, that I might be one of those people who is asymptomatic um, because I think that if I were going to get it, I would have gotten it by now uh, considering it is two weeks since that night. But just putting that out there in all honesty, I'm, I've been quarantined just so I can let people know to do the responsible thing now too. like, again, not to harp on this too much, but, Everyone really needs to be taking precautions and like serious ones. Like, do not leave the house unnecessarily, um, and myself included, so that you don't infect yourself or, or others. That's my main goal right now. Is I do not want to be around anybody else and potentially get them sick. Let's focus on the positives and not just testing positive for COVID nineteen. All right. Oh, um, please tell me that's the last one. Please. I I, I promise nothing. Um, look. Number one, I got to work with two of the greatest directors of all time in the same month. That's pretty cool. Joseph Kahn, Paul Schrader, both fucking legendary. They can't take that away. Number two, 
I didn't totally say everything that happened at the party at Tiffany Haddish's house, which was potluck. In retrospect, probably not the best idea. Everyone preparing and sharing food uh, at the party. But it did end with me and Tiffany alone on her back porch, at which point I felt uh, the need to make it very clear that I had a girlfriend, at which point she called Common on FaceTime. As you do. Right. And then I did get to talk to Common on FaceTime, which was pretty cool. And then the one uh, celeb I haven't name dropped yet, uh, which I would like to, is Willem Dafoe. You name dropped him last week. But I didn't name drop hanging out with him, I don't think, because I, I hadn't hung out with him quite yet. He'd been like at the same party, but I couldn't figure out a way to like go talk to him without just being like, hey, I want to talk to you. So organically, we ended up uh, being in a uh, in a group setting together. Oh, my God. What a fucking guy, James. Just picture like the the coolest, nicest Willem Dafoe character you can think of. And that's what he was like. Uh, in real life, just the sweetest guy. Uh, so friendly. He was yelling at me within two minutes of meeting me because I, um, I don't know how we got to talking about this, but we got to talking. I made it like a Wes Anderson joke and he was like, yes, yes, Wes Anderson. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I was like, yeah, Royal Tenenbaums is a masterpiece. And he's like, no, no, Steve Zissou. And I'm like, oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then we were arguing about, um, what, what city's better, New York or L.A.? And I commented that I, you know, I liked L.A. because I felt like, you know, everyone's like an artist and a dreamer in L.A. And I was, you know, you could be like a production assistant at a party with Quentin Tarantino. And when I said Quentin Tarantino, he started screaming at the top of his lungs, fuck Quentin Tarantino, fuck, fuck Quentin Tarantino until he puts me in one of his movies. Fuck Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> so it was just a really funny, fun um, encounter. And then what was happening, so we were sitting in the hotel lobby having drinks and a couple people every once in a while would come up and ask for a photo with him. A couple guys came up. Yeah, sure, no problem. A couple others, no problem. And then finally these two guys come up and they go, yo, man, we don't want to be rude or nothing, but like, does anyone ever tell you you look a lot like that guy, William Defoe? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, 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 I get that a lot. And he's not being rude. Like I've seen actors do this before where they're actually yeah. trying to get rid of the people. And he's like just kind of playing along. And they're like, dude, we don't want to be rude. But like you could be that guy's brother or something. And uh, he goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, hey, I tell you what, even though I'm not him, should we do a picture anyway? And the guys are like, yeah, OK, we guess. And the guys were like thought they were doing him a favor <laughs> by being in a photo with him. And little do they know. That they actually got a photo with the real guy. Like I don't know if they'll ever if they'll ever post it or say anything about it, but it was fucking hilarious. They never caught on here's that a, it was actually him. Here's a picture of us with a guy who looks like William Defoe. So I've just got one anecdote that I think will be fine to tell as long as the thing I'm telling you doesn't end up in the movie somehow. If it does I'm going to get in big trouble. But basically, the final day of poker was one of the most stressful days of my life. It was a supposed to be a 500-player poker tournament. They had about – they had 30 tables, eight-handed, right? So enough to make it look like a 500-player a, a poker tournament. And they hired 
250 extras from the Mississippi, Louisiana region. Obviously, they put out there looking for poker players. But as you know, James, sometimes people might think they're a poker player and not really know what. But also, if you're doing a casting call for a movie and you're saying, we prefer poker players, it's like, I'm a poker player. It's like, uh, we prefer people you know, who, are, who are qualified physicians. I'm a qualified physician. Exactly. Of course, people are going to say they're a poker player. For me, they're going to get in a movie. Right, exactly. So there was, I would say, 90% of the people had done that. And th- that's not really a problem for the players so much, right? Because if you're going to be featured, uh, I can tell you what to do, you know, which I did for a lot of people. The problem was the dealers. Oh, so there weren't actual dealers cast as dealers. These are just actors. There were, but there were maybe five dealers out of 30 dealers. Okay. And that made things kind of difficult uh first of all i had it not only was i the consultant for the movie but i was basically the tournament director i had to set up all of the chips for these 30 tables eight spots i had to make sure the chairs were in the right place um what was the structure joe how long were the blind levels i actually did have to have to come up with a structure because we kept jumping forward in time and i needed the, ch- the average chip stack to be about right. I needed the blinds to be about right. Wow. I needed the, um, I needed, you know, um, what else was the, the factor in that? I needed the number of players left. You know, I've obviously had to fudge some things because they would go, okay, well now this next shot is, uh, is eight handed. And that's, that's four hours later. Is that, is that enough time? And I'm like, uh, not really. Like they were setting their watches. You know, in this scene, you know, the actors were like moving their watches forward. So it was like it was a lot of pressure to be in charge of all this stuff. I mean, you could Um, have a 500 person event that was down to eight players in four hours. The structure would be ridiculous, but it's not impossible. Right. And so, look, is any of that stuff going to make it to the screen? Probably not. Right. But I wanted to do my job to the best of my ability. So the one thing that happened was so when you're working in this position, it's awkward because you notice things that are incorrect and you're like, am I really going to go tug on the director or the assist, the, the AD's arm and say, excuse me, but that wasn't right. You need to do it again. And so there's a lot of compromise that happens. And the, the first shot of the day goes off without a hitch. It's Oscar Isaac walking through the poker tournament, really cool tracking shot, uh, which no chips or dealers or players are being really shown at all. I'm like, phew, great with the second shot james is the infamous what we like to call on our shows the high and wide oh yeah okay so they have the cameras on a big crane it's up in the corner of the room and it's an establishing establishing shot supposedly of all 50 poker tables in play it's really only about 28 because that's as many as you can fit in one shot and so paul the director is like okay everyone when I yell action, I want everyone to start dealing. And I'm like, okay, Paul, well, just, you know, like if when they, and he's, he does like to shuffle up and deal. And I'm like, hey, look, so typically they would actually shuffle before they deal. And he's like, we don't have time for that. We're just going to have them deal. I'm like, okay, fine. Not, not a horrible thing, right? The dark cards could have been shuffled already. Yeah. And I go, look, everyone, just, just for the sake of this, the button is in seat eight. 
just for ease, just deal directly to the player of your left. You go around the table once. You go around the table a second time. That's how you deal. Are we good? Everyone says they're good. So they're about to roll in the shot in Video Village. If you guys don't know, Video Village is a bunch of monitors where all the important people watch what's happening. And for most of this shoot, I was included in Video Village. But for this particular shot, it was very crowded that day. So I had to go watch from another room. So I watched him do the first take. Everything I'm like trying as frantically as I can to look at everything, right? 28 tables, look at everything. Looks fine to me. They have some kind of problem. So they do another take. And this time, I notice that they're, I'm looking all over, and then I get to the middle of the screen, front and center, middle of the screen. There's like a light shining on this woman. There's a woman dealing. Like if you were watching this movie, your eye would be drawn directly to this table. And I look at her a few seconds after they yell action, and she's dealing to seats six, seven, and eight. And I'm like, fuck, I God damn it. I'm like, hold on a second. Maybe she's such a good dealer that she's pitching so fast that I missed her dealing to one, two, three, four, five, and I'm just picking this up at six, seven, eight. So I'm staring at her, and she goes from seat eight to seat one. She deals a seat one and then seat two. And then she skips seats three, four, and five and deals to six, seven, eight again, and then goes back to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So she's dealt out two cards to some people, three cards to others, some to the left side of the table, some to the right side of the table. And I'm like, this can't go in the movie. Like this, this dealer just dealing randomly all over to the front and center, establishing shot of this poker tournament. This can't go the way. So they yell cut and I'm like trucking into the other room, like running, being like, uh, I don't, like, I don't know who to tell about this. And they yell the two worst words I can possibly hear moving on. <gasps> and I'm like, I, and, and I, I let one thing move on before that I shouldn't have. And so this time I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There was, there was someone front and center was just, it, it can't go in the movie like this, please. And they were totally cool, but I couldn't figure out who it was because of the angle of the of the shot, right? I, it was front and center for me, but I don't know. So I'm looking around. I'm like, this is me walking through the tables. Somebody was dealing crazy. Who was it? Which one of you was dealing all crazy? And I walk up to the woman I think it is. I'm like, excuse me, were you – I'm sorry. Where were you dealing? What were, what were you doing? And she's like, I'm a professional dealer. Like, I know what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay. And then I move to the table next to her, and I'm like – who is dealing all crazy? I know someone was dealing crazy, and everyone at this table points and is like, "It was her. She was the, the one I just went up to. She was." And I go over and I'm like, "I'm sorry, you're not in trouble or anything, but like, what were you doing?" And she's like, "Well, I didn't have a dealer button, so she's got the all-in triangle out in seat one, <laughs> and is just dealing like crazy." And I'm like, "Look." You're obviously not a real dealer. It's fun. Everyone lies, right? Because they don't want to be taken out of the movie. Yeah. So I'm like, look, put this away, please. And I, th at this point, I get on the microphone, and the whole production is waiting for me to explain to all the dealers how to deal. And they did the shot again. Everyone was happy. I wasn't in trouble. They're happy to have me. Ultimately, I, I, was, the mo I was super awkward uh, this entire time because nobody likes me. Nobody likes me being like, excuse me, this isn't right. This is I'm in the way. I'm trying to tell people like how to raise, what betting amounts. The camera guy's like, can you get the fuck out of my way, please? Um, 
ultimately, every single person on the production came up to me and thanked me for being there. Of course, that's what they're paying you to do. They need you to say that. I know it's awkward. I know you feel like you're imposing and really, you know, I should probably stay out of the way and I shouldn't stop them from moving on. But that's what you're being paid to do. Yes. Uh, So when the movie comes out, if the movie comes out, let's hope it does. Right. Let's all hope the movie comes out in that scene. Let's just hope that they don't use that take because that woman is dealing is like a, like an like a, we would imagine like a cartoon octopus just to like every direction for the first five seconds. If that scene is in the final cut of the movie, I will take great delight in telling everyone. Yeah, that was the scene that Joe Stapleton coordinated. And, <laughs> yeah, he cast her. Yeah, he put her in that table, showed her how to deal, gave her the full briefing, everything. Even even stopped the take so that he could give her a special lesson in how to deal and that's and that's what happened um here endeth the stories from joe's time as a poker (laughs) consultant in the movies um joe why don't you introduce this week's guest on the podcast guys i'm very very excited to bring this fellow on he's one of my uh my hollywood home game crew he is in my opinion one of the funniest dudes on the planet he's been writing award-winning comedy for the last nine seasons on modern family please welcome to the show your friend and mine danny zucker thanks thanks for having me now I normally was... i would uh, ask if i uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule are you still busy right now Oh my God. Like I was just, um, in my bathroom and then like, I plans to go to my kitchen later today. <laughs> that's, really, that's up in the air. And then I'll probably, you know, cause I got to put in my four hours of couch time and then of course napping and internet porn. So it's pretty full. Pretty uh, full. I'm so glad you're able to find the time. I know that, um, this is the last season of your TV show, modern family. I can imagine that you were busy up until very recently. Yeah, we we uh, so like every season we I mean, the first, uh, I think, six seasons of Modern Family, we shot 24 episodes and in the last five we did 22. And as part of the deal for doing one last season, we agreed to doing 18, which turned out to be really wise because this would have been, a sh- you know, this would have been a shoot week this week and we wouldn't have been able to complete the finale. Um, so we we managed to wrap the show a few weeks ago and uh you know, we've been editing it remotely and uh, so, but we're all on schedule. Some shows are, some shows will have the ultimate cliffhangers. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that that all worked out that way, not just for you personally, but I think, you know, obviously America and the fans are going to need that, I think, right now. Yeah. I mean, I think in a way more than even um, uh, Corona tests, I think they need this. <laughs> I think this is, uh, this is really what they need. <laughs> Let's uh, let's roll it back. I want to talk more about Modern Family in a bit, but I want to I want to get the poker connection there oh, so we sure. can actually justify having you on the show. Oh yeah. Um, wh- what is your history and or relationship with poker? Um, my relationship with poker is I'm in an abusive relationship with poker. <laughs> um, I uh, it it you know it's very mean to me, and then sometimes it's a little bit nice, like it apologizes and it takes I take it back. And then it's super mean to me again. But uh, I started playing, you know, right bef- just at the cusp of the poker boom, like right around the I mean, I've always played poker with my friends, but like around the poker boom and the Chris Moneymaker stuff, I became kind of aware of the card casinos and I got in and I played quite a bit. I played I played enough poker to know I was never going to be a great poker player, but I could occasionally have a good night. 
that's that that's sort of where that's sort of where I'm at. Yeah, that's that's about where I'm at too. So I somehow turned. I, I'm one of the few people that have a poker career that isn't a poker player. Um, now, but you're I, a good poker player. Like I played with you. You're 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 a good poker player. You've like I when when we've played before. You've you've actually said, "Oh, this is what I would have done." Like, and you're you you make you you think about the game in a smart way that I get too emotional about. Uh, that's only because I'm trying to impress you guys. Honestly, if I was at Hollywood Park, I'd be tearing up cards and spitting at dealers like everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but Joe, you and I have had this conversation many times. You are self-deprecating when it comes to your poker ability. And you know that your two biggest weaknesses are a lack of patience and an inability to pay attention to what's going on around you. <laughs> and if you could fix those two things, you probably could have a career in, in poker that wasn't just talking about the game, but actually playing the game. Well, well, part of it is that like when I play in games with Danny and, and Josh Molina and guys like that, that I'm having so much fun and I just like being around them so much that I just keep pulling money out of my pocket no matter how bad the night's going. Well, it's a total strategy for Molina. I've now, I've now broken down his game completely is he will be incredibly funny and completely distract us like he's charming as hell and then and then suddenly he's he he just pulls off the most enormous bluff you can't believe he could be that relaxed or so um he's so well, aggressive it's it's really unfair he has taken more money from me of late than most people so yes i'm down a bit to him too let's talk about your appearance on poker after dark now um yeah how uh, how did you feel going into that how were you rolled and what? How did those feelings change once play started? Yeah, so I think it was called Friday Night Poker. Was that? Oh, right. That right. Yes, yes. Right. It wasn't Poker After Dark. Right. It was yeah, the, yeah. the Facebook Live version. Yeah. Well, okay. So Maria Ho is a friend of mine, and um, and part of the way we stayed friends for a long time was I never played poker with her as much as she would ask me to play because <laughs> I find, first of all, I find pretty girls intimidating just in general. But then, but then when they can also take all my money, it just, it triggers <laughs> something in me, maybe like the, 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 the cheap Jew side of me. I don't know. But, um, she, she wound up asking me over and over again to play in that game. And I said, finally, ah, I was going to go. She said, it's the season finale. You won't get a chance. She said, don't worry. You know, we have some pros. We have some amateurs. I play and she, we did play together and she goes, you're fine. So I get into it. I, you know, it's a last minute thing, which is always problematic with the wife, but I make it happen. And. Um, I get a plane ticket. I'm gonna fly in there and play that day. And at the airport, she says, "Oh, I probably should have told you this. You're gonna be the only amateur here." Uh, and and I, and, I, and I was like, what, 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 "What do you mean?" Well, it's just that um, we couldn't really find anybody. And a lot of people wanted to be on the last show, so my table was not a big bait. Not no big deal. It was uh, Daniel Negreanu, um, <laughs> Phil Hellmuth, uh, Maria Ho, Chris Moneymaker. Um, Antonio Esfandiari and um, and then uh, two guys I can't remember, but they're also professional poker players. That's a and, dream lineup as long as you have limitless money. <laughs> so I should get to that because I had asked. I, I I'm this is how I know I'm not like ever going to be like a, a crazy gambler. Is that I get a, the same thrill from gambling a couple hundred dollars. Like that, that's enough for me. You know, like I, I, that, that is thrilling. I get the, the endorphin hit is still there for me. So it, I don't have to have a hundred thousand dollars on the table to get that thrill. 
So I, t- I asked Maria, how much should I bring? I said, well, you know, people say, you don't bring anywhere between like, you know, five and $10,000. I said, okay, well, I'm going to bring five. That's it. Um, By the way, like- Maria is not the worst person to tell that to, but no one should know that you're only going with $5,000. Well, I, I- yeah, that, that, that's all I know. I She was the one I told. Because, by the way, she was, like, also so kind because she knew I was scared. And I'll tell you the very first part of the story because she she was heartbroken at this. So I basically go, I realize this is going to be a four-hour show. I'm going to have a $1,000 backup. So I put $4,000 on the table. And meanwhile, people are throwing, you know, 10, 15, 20, 000, whatever they're throwing. I mean, some it wasn't outrageous at first. When, um, when Antonio got there, a little dick measuring happened between him and Negrano and they were popping, you know, you know, a lot of money on there. But um, anyway, I, I'm playing for about a half hour and I look down and I have pocket aces um, and I, you know, raise the raise it three times. I get a call from Daniel Negrano and another call from um, uh, uh, um, Phil Helmuth. And uh, OK, so. It comes around. Um, I think I am first to act. It's uh, it's not exactly a rainbow. It's like two clubs and uh, and a red card. I don't remember. And no ace. But I like I raise. Um, I think uh, Daniel calls. Phil pushes all in. I push all in, and Daniel pushes all in. They're uh. both. They're both on flush draws, which they hit on the turn. Oh. So I finished that hand in third place. Now, everybody gets beaten by poker, po- pocket aces. It's a, bad beat stories are the most boring thing in the world. But um, but it was like, holy shit, this is a half hour. I have $1,000 left. <laughs> uh, and I have to make this last three and a half hours long. And I don't think the biggest nit, more, than, more so than I already am, just sitting there. So... Um, but long story short, I won all that money back and then won another six thousand dollars. So it was Holy like, shit. yeah, all through skill. Um, I <laughs> no luck at all. Um, but uh, uh, no, I, uh, I, you know, I, you know, I, I took quite a bit of money from Phil Helmuth. I actually got Phil Helmuth to um, rant at me a little bit. And I just giggled through the whole thing because it's sort of a bucket list thing to watch him get so upset yeah. at a book table. Yeah. And um, so it was it was it was pretty funny. The, it was a fu- I mean, it was by the way, I'm still buzzing about it, talking about it. I yeah. just this is like over a year ago and I'm still thrilled about it. So. But also, Danny, when Maria was telling you you were the only amateur at the table, she didn't say that you were the spot at the table because she hadn't revealed at that point that Chris Moneymaker was in the game. <laughs> and I had no doubt when you mentioned his name that you would end up in profit at the end of that session. I, I I do I do appreciate that. I mean, he's such a sweet guy. And, you know, again, I, like I, I'm, I'm hard pressed. There's certain people's game I can really criticize and understand. It's like, oh, I get what you're doing. And I know people like, but he, you know, he, he was relaxed there anyway. Like he had, he, like, honestly, having been in that position over me, um, uh, he had that advantage. You know what I mean? So that was, that was kind yeah, of no, Chris. That's what I look at. Chris is super chill in those spots as is everyone else at the table. That's the real advantage they have. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in, the, in the short term, you can play your hands. You know, when you have a flush draw, you know, when you have 
top yeah. set and it's good. But yeah. the fact that they don't care about losing 15 grand and you care about losing four, that's the real advantage. You no, know, of course, that's it. And it's uh, it's like, you know, I, you, you can appreciate this, uh, but it's like stand up. It's like you. how many times have you like, you know, you, you know, I, I know people with material who die on stage due to lack of confidence. And I know people with just OK material who kill because they just they just are relaxed and believe in themselves and have all of this confidence and poker is very similar i think so me and uh, danny are going to compare names as to who those comics are after this yeah, interview yeah, totally, totally. uh i want to know do, have you ever tried to put poker into any of your shows i absolutely have um and uh not i have not been that successful it doesn't <laughs> um it doesn't translate that well you know it it, it it's like it's uh, in in a half hour, especially like in, in in like network half hour sitcom, it just it it it. I would describe like a poker game and a high stakes poker game in a network half hour sitcom almost like what like a uh, a nightclub scene is in a half hour sitcom, like where you know people are not really dancing to music and it's just like extras are being quiet in the background as they're bopping. Um, that's what it feels like. But um, I do like to see poker on film. I've thought many times about. I have many pitches for a poker-based show, and um, and I'm actually thinking of one right now that I want to talk about. But um, uh, but uh, and I I love to do it. I because there was something there was something so spectacular about that poker boom with um, online poker and some you know people becoming insanely wealthy in a short amount of time. There's a real Wolf of Wall Street quality to what happened with the boom and the bust, and. Um, uh, I don't know. I think there's a story there. So. All right. Well, let's again. We're going to make a whole list of things to talk about after the show. I'll be yeah, down to, uh, we we'll will. have a re we'll have a remote coffee and talk about yes. that. Um, so let's let's shift back to Modern Family for a second. Now, James, as you can tell, James lives in the UK, where a lot of our our audiences and Modern Family isn't quite as big over there as it is here. So the first thing James asked me is if Modern Family was a sequel to Married with Children. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's because the same guy's in both. And I just thought, well, they're both about families. So maybe this is kind of like several years <laughs> well, later. Since, well, since I have you here, is Doctor Who a sequel to Benny Hill? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, I, uh, um, I'm, never, I'm never offended. I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge um, Anglophile. Especially, you know, I grew up on British comedy. So... Um, uh, uh, you know, you're, I forgive you. Thank uh, you. I, I did have questions about this though. And that, yeah. so you've been accused by a very famous person of, of, be, of being involved and obsessed with a lot of flops, which is not I, a poker, a yeah. poker thing, but obviously modern family is like hugely successful, ran for nine seasons. Some of the other shows you've worked on haven't gone as long. Can you speak Thanks to, um, <laughs> can you can you speak to like especially now right when i think people are trying to find creativity in their homes and stuff uh can can you speak to like finding your thing and sticking with it and were any of the other shows like maybe in your opinion just as good as modern family but didn't quite get as lucky you know modern family was um you know i didn't create it so it was uh, um, uh steve levitan and chris lloyd um got together and created it. so i had nothing to do with the pilot but there is, there's luck, there's luck in getting that cast. I mean, the, the hardest thing that I, the hardest realization I think a lot, any um, television writer or film writer sometimes comes to is that um, 
great writing, the greatest writing in the world can't save bad acting, but the, but, um, uh, great acting can save mediocre writing. And it's, people have to fall in love with your characters, you know, and they have to, they, 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 they have to love it. And we just had this amazing cast that sort of came together. And what Chris and Steve did that was kind of amazing and probably maybe one of the last times we'll ever get to do this because it's, you know, broadcasting itself is sort of going away. But there were so many entry points for people on that show. There were, you know, there were families. We had young kids for kids. There was, you know, older people, gay people. Um, it, it had a lot of there were a lot of faces on that show that people could put themselves in. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and it became sort of like a, a, a neighbor of mine after the, during the first season just said like, it was such a sweet thing to call it, but he said it felt like a campfire for our family, you know, where we would just gather around it and watch it. And, uh, and, uh, and I just think the times were right when you could do that. And people, you know, it was, it was be, you know, might, might be the last time that's, done in that way with comedy right now. yeah it was it was a really cool format in that you know i i obviously identify the most with the adopted asian baby um I, it, yeah of course we all do it, it was the kind of thing where like the the sorts of characters you put in it like america wasn't quite ready for all of them but they were ready for some of them and it just sort of eased everyone in whereas i think when it was first out it was like ooh, look at this like kind of edgy setup they have and now it's like nope this is like this is normal now yeah i mean we were very i mean it wasn't the, i mean our biggest mar marching order particularly on mitch and cam and adopting the baby was you know it's, and we didn't always succeed but we wrote those stories or we always conceived those stories especially in the first couple seasons as we were bringing people in these are we these are the stories of um, a couple adjusting to having a new baby and being gay was ancillary to that. And having like a family that like, sort of like, oh, this is that part of your family, because so many of us do have gay people in our families. Um, and it's, and a lot of us accept it. And, you know, it was funny, this, I, I knew that there was something special about the show in the first season when I'd go to a college to speak and I'd have, I remember this one um, uh, kid from like Alabama, I'll never forget, he like, came up to me, I started with tears in his eyes, and he said, you know, this Thanksgiving I went home for Christmas, and my dad said, you know, have you seen this show Modern Family? And I was like, no, I haven't seen it yet. So like, you should watch it. And it's like, I love, you know, I love that you're going you're gonna to crack up with this guy, Cam. And he was basically giving his son permission to come out in that, in that moment. And wow. this was like, a, you know, this is a red state. This was like, you know, church going, but he... I think we help to normalize it in a way that you don't, when it's like, this is the issue of the day, accept us. And, da, da, da. and when, you know, you know, a lot of, you know, shows from the nineties always had those very special episodes. As long as we were avoiding those very special episodes and making these people we enjoyed, I think that was the subversive thing about it. Right. It was just normal. It wasn't it was normal. telling people what to do. They just went along for the ride. Absolutely. And we, and you know, because Ed O'Neill is such a great actor, you got to like, without malice, but you got to see like, he had a little discomfort with all of it. And how, he, how did, how did he adjust? Like he was those of us, um, or, or those of our parents who, uh, 
you know, remember when this wasn't so accepted and probably wasn't the kindest person growing up to gay people and or, you know, and and, and things like that. And probably, you know, in a perfect world, didn't want his son to be gay when, you know, when, when he had heard this it was like maybe not thrilled, but also loved him. And watching him evolve over that, I think, was because he's such a man's man. I think it was very, very helpful. I, I, you know, I do. So uh, I, I am proud that we were able to, I, I could be a part of that. So how do you feel, Danny, with the show now coming to an end? I imagine it's mixed feelings because obviously you're saying yeah. goodbye to something that you've worked so many years on. But at the same time, you don't want it to go on so long that it, it loses its quality and its integrity. For sure. I mean, you know, there there would be some who would say if that was our goal, we probably should have got off, got off a few years ago. Um, <laughs> if I listen to bloggers, some of them. But um, no, I'm, you know, I, look, I've been doing this about 30 years. I've been writing for television for about 30 years. I And pretty steadily. I never had a job longer than two and a half years. I've been on this show for 11 years. It's been a huge part of my life and it feels very weird right now you know it's very it's very it's a very strange thing but on, on the other hand i was very you know you, you i'm t- it's very difficult to write the same characters over you know over and over again i'm one time i you know someone was saying you know i really like the early seasons and some of that i don't know you know somebody said that to me and i, I just like without malice said the most interesting family you've ever met can, has about 10 stories they break out at parties. Right. That's like, you know, maybe the Obamas have 12, you know, <laughs> but like most of you, you know, oh yes, if you're with this, they're going to tell that story about the time they got stranded at the airport. Our, th- this family has 250 damn stories. And, 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 and so it's hard to not kind of repeat yourself and go in. And they, they do have a half, you know, you know, they, they, they run their course. So on that level, it's sad, but I don't know. I can, I can honestly say if they were going to go another season, it wouldn't be like, nope, I won't do it. Partly because I really, really have become attached to um, the money. <laughs> uh, one more, one more uh, sitcom question for you, just because I, the reason I moved to Los Angeles, the movie, the reason I'm in any of this is because I, I wanted to write sitcoms and I'm obsessed with sitcoms. Um, would you go back at this point to a, like traditional, which I would say at this point, kind of outdated studio four camera sitcom. Now that you've seen what you're capable of with this style. Well, here's the thing. I mean, often you don't get to choose right now. I do eventually truly the, you know, my, the, you know, you can be picky until you can't and mortgage payments are due. Right. So, but I am, I'm not convinced you can't do an amazing multi-camera sitcom. Again, I mean, I, I, I don't know how, I don't know what that story would be, Yeah. but you know, when I look on, I mean, one thing that's very telling is how popular friends is on, um, Netflix, you know, how this whole generation and you know, this is a multicam, but it's a story that, ha- that lent itself to sort of, um, serialized viewing, you know? And so it's possible to do that. I don't think, you know, you're, there's not going to be a hit like this. I mean, I think Big Bang and us, you know, we were the last, like, what you would call a hit. I mean, and and by the way, I've had shows that would, were canceled for ratings that would have been the highest rated shows on TV right now. Right. Because no one watches TV the same way. Um, so, I mean, if I had my preference, I'd love to just do eight to ten episode season of something on streaming. That's what, That's really what I'd like to do. So um, at this point, creatively. Well, 
I hope you get it, man, because Modern Family, I haven't seen all of it, but what I have seen, it's always excellent, always okay. hilarious. Thanks. Um, I'm proud of how we ended it. I think I just saw the cut, and I think we did a good job. So, Cool. What date is that happening? Um, God darn if I know. I should have had that ready, a- right? April something. It's April yeah. for sure. I think it's yeah. like April. Anyway, I, sh- yeah. I should have known better than tee up for that. Hey, I'm going to tee you up for some questions you probably do know the answers to. Let's it's time. See. It's time for the stupid game. Now, one thing that's not listed on your IMDb credits is the fact that you were an intern for the Howard Stern show. Is that correct? I'm just going to, I was a production assistant, but yes. Production assistant. You were paid. Very good. Good to hear it. And have you stayed a fan since then? I have, although it's funny. I've drifted away a little bit during um, the current administration because I've been more into uh, the news and and being a troll. Anyway, go on. Question number one. (laughs) The Howard Stern wrap-up show host is credited with coining which popular phrase? Can I just tell you? I don't even need multiple choice. Yes, you can just tell me. Jump the shark. Jumping the shark is correct. Coined by John Hine. Question number two. Which of the following Howard Stern Whack Packers is no longer with us? Okay. Is it Bigfoot? Is it Angry Alice? Is it Melrose Larry Green? Or is it the original Bigfoot? Wow. Okay. Bigfoot? Angry Alice. I mean, part of me wants to say it's all of them, but I don't know that Melrose Larry Green is dead. its I'll say this. It's not a trick question. It's only uh, one of them. I'm going to say Angry Alice. Angry Alice is still alive. It's the original Bigfoot. Oh, my God. Like Sasquatch. No, he was the actor from, uh, from Big Fish. Remember that guy? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's right. Oh, damn. Okay. Okay. I'm going to get this next one. Question number three. Which of the following... Oh, no. just It doesn't have to be which of the following. Just... What is Wack Packer High Pitch Eric's favorite TV show? You have to give me multiple choice. Choices are American Idol, uh-huh. Survivor, uh-huh. CSI New York, uh-huh. Blue Bloods. Well, because I hear him say Kelly Clarkson, I'm going to say it's American Idol. Oh, that was the dummy answer. That was the one to trick you. It's actually Blue Bloods. Donnie Wahlberg, he is also obsessed with. Oh, my God. And Donnie's had him on the set several times. Question number four. Damn. Deceased whack packer Eric the Actor had a cameo on the sci-fi show Fringe. What happened to Eric's character on that show? Okay. I Did he fall? Was he pushed into a subway tracks? I know you've seen it. Give me, do I have multiple choice? You get the choice. Here we go. Yeah. He gets abducted by aliens. His head explodes. He gets eaten by werewolves. He transcends like whatever it is that happens at the end of Annihilation. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to say abducted by aliens. Oh, his head exploded. I knew that actually. Okay, I'm doing terribly. This, it's okay. This is actually tradition on the show that the that the guests do terribly on my I'm, quizzes. I, I'm, I'm fine. I, I, I aced the SAT, so I'm okay. I'm going to do okay here. I think you're going to get this one. Question number five. Howard Stern newswoman Robin Quivers is a veteran of the armed services. Which role did she serve in the army? Nurse. Nurse is correct. There we go. No multiple choices needed. Question number six. 
In an audio message to his fans informing them he would no longer sign autographs by mail, how did Ringo Starr sign off? <laughs> peace and love, peace and love. Peace and love, peace and love. Question number seven, last one. And you are three and three, Danny, so this is the oh decider. This is it. This is where I, this is, this is can, you, you guys want to chop it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just chop. Let's just no. call a draw. I think you can get this one. It's poker related. Okay, let's see. If Howard Stern Show executive producer Gary Delabate were to have a favorite poker hand, what would it be? Would it be aces both? Uh-huh. Would it be 55, the Van Halen hand? What, noins? Pocket noins is correct! <laughs> noin, 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 pocket nines. I didn't even get to the answer. I knew where you are going. Danny Zucker, thanks so much. Ro one last quick question. Please. Uh, if I set up a Poker Stars Play Money home game for once or twice a week or more, would you be interested in playing that with me? I would play with you anytime. I mean, I'd have to check my busy schedule here. <laughs> uh, but yes, I will absolutely play that with you. Awesome, man. We're going we're gonna to discuss some of that uh, here on the show later on. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate you. Joe, this was a pleasure. Um, and uh, uh, James, what a, what a delight. Thank you, Danny. We appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys, too. Stay healthy. Okay, you too. Bye. Poker in the ears. All right, so Danny's in. What about you guys? If I started a Poker Stars home game club, would you play? What times would work best for you when, where you live? I would say... Use the hashtag poker in the years, but also use the hashtag Stapes home game. I can I see this being incredibly popular. And clearly there are a lot of people out there right now looking for stuff to do, looking for games to play. And I think that this could become a thing. I think it could become a thing too. Look, lots of people are putting out content right now, but I've seen lots of semi-famous people too, right? Say they're looking to play some poker. Yep. Michael Ian Black, who will come up later in this show. Brian Koppelman. Uh, guys that we know are poker fans and on the scene, maybe we can get lots of people involved. And I was thinking, if it's allowed, I don't know what's legal and what's not, but maybe I could give away prizes, some swag from my own personal stash, including... Well, if it's your home game yeah. and it's just something that you're doing... Yeah, you you worry about that, and you worry about the rules and stuff. I'm not I'm, I'm not getting involved. Great, fine. So I was thinking, guys, how would you like if I gave away cards and chips used on the set of the card counter? You that might be kind of cool, right? Do a great job selling that earlier on. I think you might <laughs> want to get some Dettol wipes involved before you start would handing it, these out. Would sending those through the mail be considered a bioweapon? Possibly. I am going to sanitize everything and also. By the time you get these things, um, it would be unlikely anything is still living on them. But I'm offering up those sorts of prizes. Other prizes, too. I'm going to basically – remember um, Stapes' Ungrateful Christmas Regifts? Yes. I'm going to give away shit from my house. So uh, it's going to be a good way for me to do some spring cleaning in addition to having it. Uh, but I'm not going to do this, guys, without – some support from you. I don't want to start this thing and have nothing come of it. So please use the hashtag poker in the years, use the hashtag Stapes home game. Let me know that you're in. Let me know what times work for you. And I'm going to see about bringing poker in the ears to your fingers or okay. something. I um, work on that. Instead, let's focus on official poker stars endorsed giveaways. It's super fan time. 
One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. So let's welcome this week's Superfan to the podcast. Let's say hello to Ryan Abbott. Greetings, Ryan. Hello. Oh, hey, 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 Abbott, where's Costello? You ever heard that one before? Uh, yeah, that one's before. All right, well, now twice. <laughs> A grand total <laughs> of two times. Uh, Ryan, before we get to know you, let's talk a little bit about your specialist subject because this has been a little bit of, um, I guess, a retrospective for us. I remember liking this film when it came out. And Joe, I think you're a little bit more down on it when we discussed it last week. Revisiting it, I still like parts of it, but like a lot of movies, a lot of comedies from this stable, it's so self-indulgent in places and so overlong and overstretched. So that's what I didn't... We'll get to you in a second, Ryan. Sorry, I got a lot to say about 40-Year-Old Virgin. Uh, that's what I didn't like it in the first place. Like and, m During this era, whenever I could tell they were improvising in a scene and they were just kind of letting the guys run and doing joke after joke, it bothered me. I never liked it. I never thought I was that funny. I didn't like sh showing the seams... Uh, it, when you could tell they were about to laugh, I never liked any of that stuff. Watching it a second time, I actually enjoyed it more. Huh. And I think part of it, too, is at the time was that I wasn't really a Steve Carell fan. Not that I liked him or disliked him. I just didn't know him. And now that I've I've seen all of The Office, I feel differently. And I like this movie a little bit more. Parts of it I liked a lot more. Like the arguing between like the black guy and the Indian guy I thought was fucking hilarious this time and did fuck a ghost yeah like that that i thought was really funny this time which i didn't find as funny last time um and i also i just didn't remember the movie being like the third act of this movie is like 55 minutes long so long i didn't like i was like oh my god katherine keener and this relationship is like I, I guess it's like most of the con like you said of that era james were like you kind of tune out after the first hour. Like, that's where all the funny stuff happens. It's a 90-minute movie that's been stretched to two hours. What? what? Sorry. I, it was just so long. Um, I, I, that just scared me so much. That surprised me. Excuse me. If, look, I, I, did, I, I went to watch this last night with my girlfriend, and she really likes boobs, so we watched the unrated version, so maybe that version's a lot longer. But this movie felt a lot longer than 90 minutes. I have not seen the unrated cut, so I should point out that the questions relate to the theatrical cut. Uh, Ryan, what's your relationship with the movie? Do you have a favorite version? Uh, do you have a love-hate relationship with it? Uh, well, I was 15 when this came out, so it was like silly comedy. Uh, yeah. It really hit hard with me when I was 15. And then uh, the reason I picked it was because I know Joe likes Steve Carell and he's a fan of The Office, so I just assumed he would like this film. Uh, I was a bit... Gorted last week, he um, didn't really seem too happy about it. Yeah, Ryan, let me say this. Thank you. This was like, especially compared to what we've been watching, this yes. was an absolute pleasure <laughs> to have to watch this movie again. Uh, just to be clear, Ryan, we are not complaining and I'm not annoyed about having to watch it. If anything, I was just slightly disappointed because I remembered this film much more fondly than when I rewatched it. And just to give you an example, and I think this is what you were speaking to, Joe, the scene where... Um, uh, Paul Rudd 
and Seth Rogen are just going backwards and forwards. You know how you're gay? I just thought this is just <laughs> excruciating. It's not funny. It's grossly self-indulgent. Didn't need to be in the film. And if you were going to put it in, you should put a third of it in the final cut. Yeah, you look at obviously, look, all of our opinions have changed about like throwing around the world the word gay as an insult but doesn't quite it's not even the fact that it, it now feels ooh, kind of like that's not that doesn't feel particularly uh, politically correct or doesn't feel particularly woke it's just shit yeah no it's 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 the combination of things i'm like i could i could still laugh at a joke like this because it's the characters making the joke and not the people and i get that the characters still make those sorts of jokes but like why is so much of it in the movie like it's just yeah. It's one of those things that when when you're in your 20s and you make a movie and you're like, oh, this is hilarious. We have to leave all this in. We're like any good editor be like, guys, you got to you got to cut out most of this. Anyway, Ryan, thank you for not picking Battlefield Earth or Hudson Hawk. (laughs) That's the most important thing to say. Let's get to know you. Tell us all about yourself. Uh, So I am a father of two, about two girls, five and two. And uh, I'm a refrigeration and air conditioning engineer, and I'm from the Wirral. What does that mean, engineer? You're not actually, um, you're not, are you going around fixing things or you're designing things? Uh, I fix and install new systems. Oh, that's fantastic. So uh, people are really happy to see you generally. Uh, most of the time, but usually when they see me, they either haven't got aircon yet or their aircon doesn't work. So, uh, Sorry, they're happy when you leave, I should say. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Assuming that you've been successful in your endeavors. Yeah. What is the air conditioning situation like uh, where you live these days? Because I, I lived in another country for a while, and they didn't really seem to give a shit about air conditioning. Um, well, with being in England, it's it's mainly um, used for heating in most places. But it's not like probably in America, Joe, where you have it in most houses. It's usually just offices and, and um, business places we go to. It's uh, it's like 13 degrees out right now in Los Angeles, and I have the air con on. So, you know, we have it. <laughs> Sounds about right. right. Um, so, Ryan, what's your uh, what's your poker story? Are you an online player, live player? Uh, yeah, a bit of both. Um, started, well, I played as a kid, but then I started playing again about two or three years ago at a home game. Um, which slowly sort of died. Uh, so then I sort of talked to poker stars and sort of get myself to the casino maybe once a month, play live there. Cool. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to try and do. Uh, bear in mind there aren't many live events on the horizon at the moment. We'll try and give you some T-dollars for your PokerStars account in addition to some Poker in the Years merchandise. Uh, I've got 10 questions. There are four bonuses. I'm going to apply the rule that I applied a few weeks back. You only get the bonus if you get the main question right. If you get the main question wrong, the bonus goes to the other player. Uh, multiple choice options on all main questions. 10 questions on the sheet. Please give me a number, Ryan, between 1 and 10. Always coming to seven. Number seven. What is the name of Paula's Guatemalan gardener? Oh, you got choices. There are choices. Would you like them? Yeah, I think I need them. Is it Javier, Juan, Pedro, or Keith? Javier. It was Javier for one point. Joe, your question. You know what I would have uh, answered that question at uh, if you'd asked me? Who's Paula? <laughs> uh, I'll take 
Well, uh, question number 10, please. Question number 10. How much does Trish estimate Andy will make from selling his action figures? $100,000. Correct, for two points. And there is a bonus attached. What are the ages of Trish's three kids? 6, 16, and 21. Correct, oh. for the bonus point, And you have a 3-1 <laughs> lead. <gasps> Choose carefully, Ryan. Any number other than 7 hey, or 10. Hey, Ryan, good job picking a movie I actually like paying attention to. Well, I want the fair race on this one. <laughs> uh, I'll pick uh, 1. Question number one. At the start of the movie, what time in the morning does Andy's alarm go off? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Correct. For two points. Tied game. Joe, your question. I would have said 0700, but whatever. We just do a 24-hour clock here in America. Yeah, uh, right. Question. I'll take uh, my lucky number nine, please. Lucky number nine. Complete the quotation. I'm very discreet. Ooh. I'm very discreet. I'm... I'm not any of the choices. Okay, is it? I'm very discreet, except when I'm not. Especially if it involves toys. And I'll destroy your body. But I'll haunt your dreams. But I'll haunt your dreams. Jane Lynch, what a line. Correct. That's Paula, by the way, Joe, for the avoidance of doubt. Got it, thank you. Okay, we enter the third round. Joe is one point up. 4-3 is the score. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, or 8, Ryan. Six, Question number six. Who does Jay pretend to be at this speed dating event? Doctor Martha Bond. Say it again, please. Doctor Martha Bond. I'm going to give it to you. Close enough for two points, and you get the bonus as well. What is the name of the speed dating event? Data Palooza. Correct for a bonus point, and you're up by two. Fuck. Okay, Joe, where are you going to go on the board? I think that Ryan made a huge mistake by not choosing question two, and that's where I'm going next. Question two. What does the sign say in Andy and Cal's booth at Smart Tech? What does the sign say in Andy and Cal? I'm going to need the choices, damn it. Is it? Check your breath. Smile. Be nice. Don't swear at customers. Be yourself. Be the best. I'm going to go with smile, be nice. Correct for a point. There is a bonus <laughs> attached. At the poker game, what hand does Andy win with? Full house. Correct. And we have a tied game going into the penultimate round. Three, four, five, or eight, Ryan? Uh, five. Please. Question number five. When Andy calls Trish for the first time, what does he say his name is? Think it's uh, 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 excuse me, excuse me, co-host. <laughs> excuse me, co-host, real quick here. I, I hate to do this to you, but it's actually the second time he calls her. The first time he hangs up without saying anything. Okay, yeah, so you're right there, Joe. the time when he actually speaks to her, Bonus what does he say escapes. his name is? I've got a... Uh, I'm not 100%, so I'll have to take the choices. Co-host, co-host. Yes. Should I give him a hint? No, he gets the options. Is it... Co-host. Yes. Okay, go on. Is it John, James, Jack, or Jensen? James. Correct for a point. <laughs> and Joe, you do not get a bonus for your hashtag fun fact. But you can pick three, four, or eight. Uh, man, I was really feeling it with number two before. Maybe I was feeling three. Which singer does Paula have playing on loop on the screens at Smart Tech? 
Good old Timex Michael McDonald. Correct, for two points. And you have a one-point advantage, Joe, as we go into the final round. So, Ryan, you can take question four or you can take question eight. Eight, please. There is a bonus here, so there are three points available. Kevin Hart makes a cameo appearance as a customer at Smart Tech. What does it say on his T-shirt? Jamaica. Correct for two points. And your bonus question. Talking of cameos, who plays the guy who wants to buy silver boots with gold fishes in them from Trisha's store? Uh, uh, Jonah Hill. It is Jonah Hill. So here's the deal. Ryan now has 10 points. Joe, yeah. you have eight points. If you can get question four correct without taking the options, we go to the tiebreaker. All right, I'm ready. When Nikki tells Andy he has kind eyes, what does he say in response? When Nikki tells Andy he has kind eyes. I have to take a stab without, uh, without the choices. So do you. No, it was your hat has sequins, which means the final <laughs> score is 10 points to Ryan, 8 points to Joe. So the tiebreaker did actually relate to the unrated cut of the movie that oh. you watched, Joe, which is actually 133 minutes, 2 hours 15 near enough. Oh no, my God, what the fuck did I do? No comedy should ever be 2 hours and 15 minutes long. Uh, Ryan, that's an irrelevant hashtag fun fact. The key news is you are a winner, sir. We're going to make sure you get some T-dollars in your stars account, and we'll also ask you to pick a T-shirt from the Poker in the Ears range. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Good job, Ryan. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you later, guys. All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, not this podcast. We are going to take a hiatus. I know it's weird because earlier on I said you're going to get extra episodes. We were never going to do a show next week because we were meant to be in Sochi. Instead, we'll be doing our first week of EPT retro streams. Just a reminder, Tuesday through Friday of next week, that's from the 24th to the 27th of March, starting around lunchtime every single day European time, taking a modern day look at EPTs of old. All right, looking forward to that. But in two weeks when the podcast is back, we'll be talking to one of my favorite all-time comedians michael ian black is a huge poker fan and as a result of everyone being sort of indoors he said he was gonna he was willing to do lots and lots of podcasts i had a feeling he was gonna do this one anyway but we got him he's gonna be on the show until then guys comment like subscribe you got nothing better to do and we are still taking super fan applications and a quick word to everyone who's already booked for future weeks again i mentioned earlier we might have to move some stuff around to accommodate the extra streams we're going to be doing so we may be in touch to move the day if not the time when we record that segment all right guys that's it some bad news some good news but we will be with you next week for ept retro streams until then, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later.